Welcome back to the Faith Awakens podcast. I really should come up with a more clever intro uh, since I have to do that every week, but it's always just like, oh, well, welcome back. Uh, this is our 17th episode, I believe, now, which is fantastic. Um, and as I'm Father Tom Hannon, chaplain here at St. Ambrose University, and as always, joined by my co-host... Megan Grady, future teacher of America. I always say student. I feel like I, I want to mix it up. I like future place. teacher of America better. That's that's much better. Yes. It's hopeful, forward-looking. Yeah. Coming to a classroom near you in hopefully 2021, um, but maybe a Zoom classroom. Who knows how that's going to work? No um, kidding. Yeah, that's something to, to think about. Yeah. My uh, my oldest sister uh, was a fourth grade teacher for many, many, many years in my hometown, and she retired last year. And I talked mm-hmm. to her on the phone yesterday, and boy, is she glad that she retired <laughs> last year. Uh, no, I guess it was the year before last, so she didn't teach this past school year, uh, so she didn't have to yeah. deal with all of the stuff that happened in the spring. Um, and, yeah. you know, she's been talking to her teacher friends, and I'm sure your mom, because she teaches, right, yeah. has been talking about, like, it's- Everybody's having to prepare for every contingency possible. Yes, the exact same situation, actually. She did did not – this is her first year not teaching, not in the classroom. And she also has been talking to all her teacher friends. And just, like, every time she gets off the phone with them, she's just like, yep, mm, no regrets on that one. Sucks to be you. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. No, no, God bless our teachers and all that they're doing to figure out how to do this. And, you know, I'm thinking of the professors here, too, now that they know how we're starting and all of that. Um, But probably, well, yeah, with a hybrid model, as a lot of universities are doing. So so actually, that's a nice segue into the first thing that I wanted to talk about today during the podcast, and that is how are you as a student, as a future teacher of America, feeling about uh, your senior year and the fact that it's going to begin a little earlier here at St. Ambrose, as it is in some other universities across the country as well, and that the first semester is going to end earlier. It's going to end by Thanksgiving break, and, you know, we'll be dealing with social distancing and all of that kind of stuff um, and hybrid models of education. And, yeah, so where are you at on that? How are you feeling? Yeah, I think um, I think I feel fine about it. Um, I'm grateful, I would say. Uh, that we are able to come back in some capacity, that I am, uh, as a athlete, able to hopefully compete in some capacity. I think if you were to ask me a couple of months ago when this was all um, very uncertain, um, there were nights where I would just, like, lay awake and just think about – I'd just worry about what was going to happen um, uh, and just, like, kind of – like, I, there were nights where I would get really upset and I would just cry because I just, like – I it I sound selfish, but I just really I, I've wanted my senior. Everyone, I feel like everyone goes into their senior year hoping, uh, striving for perfection, which is very uh, and unhealthy in some aspects. But like you want something, you want to tie up your time there with a bow um, of some sort. Um, and so watching all of my friends that were seniors last year uh, kind of not get to tie up their. Uh, yeah. Uh, senior year with a with a pretty bow. I was worried that I would not get um, a senior year at all um, in that same capacity. I would get a senior year, but not uh, in uh, the senior year that I wanted. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but and yeah, I wanted, would you be yeah. student teaching second semester? Is that I mean, is that still mm-hmm. the plan? How's that look? Yeah. You got worries about that? Uh, right now, that is still the plan. I will be 
uh, student teaching in the spring. Um, I was already kind of worried about that, um, I think, which is normal. Um, you know, uh, it's different than, uh, you know, being at Ambrose and taking classes. Now you're actually kind of in the classroom working. So I was already a little worried about that, but I was like, it'll be good. Um, You're only responsible this, for the formation of young minds of, uh, you know, future generations. No, no big deal. Yeah. Right, no big deal. At that point, I'm just an assistant uh, to being responsible for the formation yeah. of young minds. Well, there you go. But but you're I, still really, Miss Grady. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're the teacher. Uh, but, but maybe Miss Grady via Zoom. But um, it's weird because after all this hit, I'm I'm like kind of excited for it. I'm excited to see what happens with student teaching um i i hope it i hope it still happens i don't even know if that's a thing if they just would cancel i don't know if that's um a thing but uh i'm excited to see uh what happens with it because i think it we're gonna have to adapt and i think that's a big part of teaching is adapting uh especially to students um but also to uh the environment or just anything. So I think it'll be a good skill, building up good skills. Um, at least that's what I tell myself when I lie awake and worry about it at night. Um, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, the counseling center because I did uh, uh, take advantage of those counseling services um, in the spring and uh, and they were really super, I can't even describe how beneficial they were just like getting my thoughts organized um, in a time where uh, it was okay for them to be chaotic, but it wasn't healthy. So, um, uh, but yeah, an excellent mention because um, I think a lot of our students were feeling that way. I hope a lot of our students did take advantage of of those services, um, and I know that that's going to be something that you know is going to continue to be made available, and hopefully students will take take those opportunities as well. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, I mean, there's there's still a whole conversation that I feel like is it's happening, but I haven't seen it like hit the the news in a big way, and that is just like overall like mental health um, situation. Given everything that we're going through, not only with the COVID uh, situation, but the uh, situations of racial injustice that we've seen, and what we've been talking about in the last three episodes of our podcast, and and those kind of things. And so our our response to that. But right now, it's kind of you know everybody's kind of in triage mode a little bit. Like, what do we need to take care of first? And at the university, it's like, how do we start? You know, how do we how do we open up? How do we teach? Um, how do we have students on campus? Um, and then we can, um, but sooner sooner than later, we're going to need to ask some of those questions. Um, you know, the other conversation, I guess, in talking to you just now about this, that I guess I'm waiting to see happen or hashed out is I know that even before all of this, you know, there were broader conversations about, are we doing education right, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the United States in particular? Should we look at other models? You know, in other countries, they do these things differently sometimes, you know, and we still have very much this kind of, you know, kind of classroom model. This is how school looks and a nine-month model and all of these kind of things. And, and of course, everybody had that upended in the spring. And, and I know, like, for my sister, uh, or my, my niece, rather, my sister's daughter, um, she was a language arts teacher in a, in a school here in Iowa. And um, you know, so she had to like go into homeschool mode with her kids, which was fine because she's a teacher. She knows how to do that kind of stuff. Um, right. And uh, with their cousins who live just down the street. So they had their own little like family homeschool, you know. Um, and, and, and I don't think that's the obviously the the solution uh, for everybody. Uh, but, you know, 
not a bad thing for families in general to be maybe being a little bit more invested in the education of their children. I mean, that could be something that grows out of this. Um, and yeah. I know my sister, who was a teacher, would love to have seen that kind of level of involvement um, on the part of parents. But not every parent is equipped uh, the same way either to do that. So I don't know. Yeah. Any thoughts on just the changing landscape of education? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, throughout all this, there has been um, a lot of appreciation uh, grown for a lot of occupations that have been, you know, out of uh commission temporarily um i don't know if that's the right phrase but like um just or are working harder or more are seen as essential they use that word essential um now because uh in i guess a different context but like these you're really seeing how essential these jobs actually are Mm -hmm. um i can only speak from like a teaching aspect but like i think that teachers sometimes are seen as like glorified babysitters i think i've definitely gotten that attitude from people when i say um that i'm going to be a teacher uh it's really disheartening especially um yeah and i don't mean this to be a woe is me oh feel sorry for me but like the teachers do work hard they they pay a lot of out of their own pocket uh for their classroom to make it better for their students um but yeah even even on campus i've gotten just like kind of the eye roll of oh you're going to be an education major okay well that's Mm. pretty easy for you like um Mm. but it's not i mean we're we're taking care of your kids yeah um and that is not to say that teachers are more important than any other job that's not i don't believe in a hierarchy um but we there is a, a a level of importance that i think we've uh as teachers deserve and i can't really say we because i'm not a teacher yet but um uh, but I have a lot of family members that are teachers, and there is a level of respect that I think they deserve that I think they're, people are starting to give them now, um, especially because people are forced to uh, become that uh, teacher in their home with their kids, and they see how hard it is to control a kid whose time span, like uh, um, attention span, you know, isn't very long, and they don't yeah. want to do their homework. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that that days and we don't forget that teachers are important but just thinking how anybody could give you that attitude or anybody that is pursuing a career in teaching and not realize that they're there because of teachers (laughs) you know like oh so you you taught yourself everything you know i see (laughs) of course not you know um yeah i think but you know you you just take it on your I, uh, you know, when I was a student here, I was a history major, and actually, when I was not in the sem, so I started in the seminary, then I took a timeout from the seminary. When I was during in my seminary timeout, I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with a history degree? So I was history secondary education, and I really did feel like that could be a, a potential calling. And and uh, I've got, like I say, I've got teachers in my family as well, and so certainly a respect for that, and enjoyed teaching and and uh certainly have had op- other opportunities to teach uh as a priest um and even actually teach formally in a classroom when I was I taught for 3 years over at Assumption High School in uh, the religion um classroom for the seniors so um and met a lot of students that ended up coming over here to Ambrose uh, as a matter of fact so um absolutely a lot of respect for that I actually Teaching three years, and I was only like part-time because I had another job with the diocese at the time. So I was teaching, I think, three days a week, three periods each of those days. 
Um, and I would come home at the end of those days when I was at the school, even though I had stuff that I was doing later. I mean, I would, I would just be wiped out. I would be exhausted. Yeah. And that was just from three periods, you know, three days a week. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, if I'm that wiped out, granted, I don't have quite the same experience. And I'm sure as you grow in the, in the teaching profession, things become easier as they, you know, you, you get your, your, you get your uh, act together and you've done it once or twice before. It is, you know, not as complicated um, as the first time you do it, but still it's yeah. a lot of energy. You're on, you know, for yeah. the day. And yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's scary. It's it's scary when you have, because um, I've had practicums at high schools mostly. I really want to get out of middle school before um, I student teach, but uh, who knows, but it, it's, scary to have high schoolers just staring at you no expression like and you're and I feel like I try and insert a little bit of my humor when appropriate in my lessons and I crack a joke and no one laughs and it's just so sad and I just laugh myself and I just have to keep going because I'm like okay well that one didn't uh that one didn't hit so uh we're just gonna keep going but I did get one laugh out of like three high schoolers um I want to say it was last year. So I took that as a win. That's good. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough. The other, especially teaching that age group, I'd say high school and probably middle school as well, but certainly high school. Um, one thing I learned is that you might not always think that you're getting through, but you're getting through. And yeah. you you find that out sometimes later in different ways uh, because they tell you somehow. But sometimes um, for particular students, um given, you know, social situations in high school, especially, you know, it's not cool to let on to the fact that you're actually learning something and enjoying it. (laughs) So they, they are very poker faced when it comes to that sometimes, but I've been surprised and humbled really sometimes to hear from former students that will say something, you know, kind of complimentary, like, wow, I, at the time I would have guessed that I was just, you know, been in my wheels, but I guess not. But um, in, in the three periods that I would teach each of those, you know, three years that I taught, it always worked out that like my my first period was, and I taught in the sweet spot of the day. I, I taught from like 9.30 to noon, you know, so they're, they're awake by then usually, um, and they have not yet had lunch. Um, so, you know, no kind of post-lunch lull. Um, but that first period was always kind of my deadest, my quietest still. Um, the second period that I would teach was always my most rambunctious, like I couldn't like get them to settle down or listen or pay attention. And then I think this had to do more with how classes were scheduled and who was in what honors classes and things like that. But my third period always of those seniors I always called them my AP religion class because they were like on the ball, engaged, asking good questions like, oh, this is why can't the other new classes be like this? You know, Um, but that's, you know, high school has that your your one one period will be a very different personality from the next class. So, yeah. I loved it. I actually miss it a great deal, but there's no way I could do it. I I told the principal over there, I said, if I could do both, um, I would, but I can't. So um, maybe one of these days I can get back in the classroom. But anywho, yeah, I, I do think there is, um, I don't know, a, a conversation waiting to happen just about what does education period uh, look like in the post-COVID world? Uh, yeah. 
And it can't be just, oh, the same as before, but with Zoom, you know, <laughs> uh, yep. something something more dramatic than that, I think, you know, reexamining some of the, the core components, maybe even. So, yeah. Um, so another thing we've been talking about, of course, the last three weeks, and we intentionally didn't have a guest on this week because I, I kind of feel like I've uh, been drinking from the fire hose of um, kind of social awareness, uh, which is good, <laughs> but it is overwhelming, you know. And so I thought maybe this week we could kind of in our conversation just unpack a little bit of what we've been hearing in our conversations the last three weeks. So we had three weeks ago we had Fritz Judenay from uh, Intercultural Life here on campus Uh, talking about the incidents that have been facing our country uh, since the death of George Floyd, the killing of George Floyd. And then we had uh, Leonard Jones on from Black Student Union to kind of get a student perspective in on that, and then talked about kind of criminal justice uh, and sociology last week with one of our professors, uh, Dr. Grant Tejan. So, you know, I guess uh, what's been rolling around in your own head with this, or as you've been kind of mulling this and chewing on this and and kind of um, coming to some peace, maybe a little bit more about what's needed where are you at? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I am I'm currently taking a summer class with uh, uh, Dr. Lisa Powell, uh, who's awesome. Um, shout out to Dr. Powell if you're listening to this. Uh, she listened to the last couple episodes, so I was flattered. Um, but uh, we're actually reading uh, three different memoirs, and two of them uh, have to do with uh, racism in America. Um, so uh, very timely, uh, as everyone's reading uh, these um, books, uh, I just finished How to Be an Anti-Racist by uh, Ibram X. Kendi. Um, I, it was a great book. I, I thought I think everyone should read it, but um, it's kind of part memoir, um, part history book, which I appreciate. It's um interwoven with background information and his own life, which I think is an interesting way to write a book um, instead of having like the first paragraph or or the first chapter be an intro and then the rest is a memoir. You know, it's kind of interesting to see um, the history and then his life. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I agree. It's been overwhelming. um, And, but I think that, it's good that it's been overwhelming because it gets the point across. Um, there's been times where I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot, but I'm like, no, you need to do, you need to keep doing this work. Um, uh, because it's important work, you know, you can't just quit. Um, so yeah, in, in, in ways, I think the overwhelmingness of it has been really beneficial. Hopefully that, um, overwhelming feeling, bling, 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 uh, maybe can turn into, a constant feeling uh, that motivates us to keep doing this work, um, mm-hmm. uh, this anti-racist work. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm yeah. at with it. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, to- that concept um, from the book that you're reading and something I think we talked about even with our, in our conversation with, with Fritz that kind of was a light bulb for me too is um, I guess, first of all, realizing that um even without, you know, and of course, again, I'm a moral theologian, right? That's like my area of specialty. So I'm always taking into account what somebody knows, what their intention is, and what the thing is that they're actually doing. You know, those kind of three classic parts of, uh, of uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the Catholic 
tradition, we'd say those are kind of the aspects of, of serious sin in particular, you know. So so I could say, um, you know, evaluating myself, um, there's things I did not know that I do know now. And yeah. I am responsible for that knowledge. Um, and I'm exp- responsible for expanding that knowledge. And so I, I, there's, there's a, maybe a greater impetus in me to do that and a willingness to admit my ignorance about certain things in the past. Um, in terms of my will, you know, in terms of my intention and in things, um, there's probably not but a few people, well, sadly, there are more than this probably, but we had this kind of image in our head, I think, especially maybe as white people in this country, that, oh, to be a racist, that's like if you're a member of the KKK, then you're a racist. Like, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, there's many other ways, much more subtle, um, and in some ways more, I mean, I wouldn't say more dangerous, but where you could kind of let yourself have certain attitudes or say certain things or believe certain things and still kind of pat yourself on the back and say, oh, but I'm not a racist because I'm not a member of the KKK. And like, wait a second, you know, we, you know, so I think this kind of eye opening that has been happening um, across the country. And I think especially among white people. And, you know, if you want to use lingo, I suppose you can. I, I, I tend to bristle at lingo in general, just because it, I don't know, it just feels like overused and it kind of, it changes all the time. And what are we going to be using in five years? And will that, you know, but, you know, so have I, have I been woke? I, I don't oh. know if I would put it that way, but am I, um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you get around talking about, I mean, very clearly like white privilege. And, and am I more aware of that now than I was a month ago? Absolutely. Um, was I completely unaware of it before? No, I wasn't. You know, I, I, I did understand, you know, uh, that there are certain challenges that I've never had to face and can't um, can't empathize with uh, fully, um, of course, for black Americans. But so all so that level of intention, I've had to kind of examine that within myself. Um, and then, you know, just even look, examining my own actions and my own, you know, patterns of thought and all of that. So all of that has been very good. Um, I mentioned in my homily yesterday, uh, which, by the way, we throw those up on SoundCloud, too. So you can always just search for, I think just, I usually just go to SoundCloud and search for K-A-L-A homily, and it'll bring up all the homilies that I've been doing for our live radio masses on Sundays during this whole pandemic. But um, honestly, in my own sorting through my feelings about all of this in the last month, you realize you it's like going through the stages of, of, of grief, uh, so there's like that, there's that denial, like, no, it's not me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's anger, yeah. anger at the situation, anger at, you know, what we've seen, um, anger at sometimes um, people's reaction to that in terms of further violence or, or destruction and things like that. Uh, anger at myself, honestly, um, in, in some ways, rational or not, you know. Um, so you go through that denial and anger and bargaining and then, kind of despair, like, what can we do? Like, there's been points in the last couple of weeks where I've just thought, you know, maybe I should just run off to the desert and be a hermit for the rest of my life and basically just try to get out of the way, (laughs) you know? Um, And then I realized, no, that's not the right thing either. Like, you know, God is calling me here and now to be a part of the solution, as I think he is all human beings, you know? So there's been that. And then so a, a, a greater sense of acceptance of, 
of myself, a greater sense of acceptance of, yeah, this is where things are at right now, and it's not great, but there's a there's a chance here to make this better, and and so that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just a lot of just I've I've had a uh, what I would describe as a pretty vigorous debate uh, with myself, you know, in my own heart over these last weeks. So. Yeah, I it's it's been hard to be on certain social media apps because some um people are um making this uh social justice issue uh very political and um it's kind of been uh, I'll just like call it like Facebook has been really um toxic uh for me because I just want to um just tell people to get out of their own like get get over yourself and do an internal reset and check yourself before you post things. I don't know. Um, It's been, it's been interesting. I've had some conversations with um, some relatives that have been kind of heated, but I also think those conversations are really important. Like if we want to like grow as humans. Um, So whether point gets across or not, um, I don't know, but but this is where I think some of those avenues that were meant to create connection and conversation, I don't know that they've panned out to do that. In some ways, I think maybe of their nature, they have actually created more division. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you're not sitting face to face with person with a person, or even you know face to face via Zoom, right? It is so mm-hmm. easy to lob a grenade over the fence and then leave it, you know, just post something yeah. and, and let it do its damage. And then, um, there's no, like, I, I am very, um, I like this idea of, you know, kind of, in fact, my, 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 was a hit, I was a philosophy major as well when I was here. And so I, I don't remember much of what I wrote on, frankly, my senior year for my senior thesis, but it was this idea in like Martin Buber, who was a philosopher of the I, thou, and basically that, you know, in, in looking at the other, um, in in taking account of the other as other, there is a kind of moral claim on me. I can't look I can't look a person in the face and do wrong by them, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm true to my humanity, you know. But it is easy to do that in a social mm-hmm. media platform when you're not face to face. And of course, so it's. A lot of that going on. I and I and I mentioned this in my homily yesterday too. I, I also do I get concerned about and both kind of sides, if you will, can be equally bad about this, but what I call dichotomous thinking, that like the other, whatever that is for you, is all evil. And um and I am all right, you know. <laughs> um and vice versa. And every you know, we're seeing this this greater polarization, greater demonization of the other that uh, I don't think is advancing the cause um, and not, not helping people or, or healing people, you know? So we got to be attentive to how we do this. Yeah. And that's not to say um, that all social media. um, No, there's been some really beneficial um, stuff that I've been reading um, that have come uh, that I've seen on social media and like, uh, clicked on the link and read, check my sources before I read and then yeah. read um, it and then did repost it because I did uh, find it beneficial for me. So maybe it would be um, beneficial for others. 
But I think, yeah, I think we've lost our ability to check sources, which is something we learn. I don't even know what age, junior high. I think I learned it in junior high, um, maybe before that. So I think – I will admit um, I probably have a little more kind of um, curmudgeonly – Luddite, which is like someone who doesn't like technology attitude towards some of the stuff. Like, we don't need this stuff. It's getting in the way. We need face-to-face communication. What happened to good old-fashioned letter? Huh? Oh, Oh my gosh. You're old man. Not completely that bad, but yeah. But yeah, no. Good and bad. I don't like those people... It off, but. I do, uh, but I, you know, I've often I, when I've told when I've counseled people, for example, that are having issues within their family, you know, where they are failing to forgive someone who did some hurt to them or something like that. Sometimes I will counsel them write a letter, because there is no way to fire off a letter fast and hit send before it's too late. You know, you actually have mm-hmm. to sit down with pen and paper or at least at the keyboard and think about what do I want to say and how do I want to say it. And then I almost always tell them, and don't then send the letter right away. Sleep on it for at least a night. Have um, a trusted friend or someone else in your family read it before, or bring it to me, and I'll look over it and say, uh, you might want to kind of knock that rough edge off a little bit there. Um, and then the benefit of that is when someone receives, uh, you know, kind of that physical letter, and I think physical is even better than email, it's it's like it's kind of sacramental, right? There's this thing I can hold and I can reread that and I can go back to that and I can and it's it's kind of it's more representative of the person than this kind of message that goes out into the ether, you know. So again, mm-hmm. yes, social media by itself and technology is not the enemy. It is a tool and it only becomes the enemy if we use it for evil ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, well put. So um, well, yeah, so a lot more digesting, I think, for all of us that will need to continue to happen. And I don't want to lose sight of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. And I think there may be some other conversations and other guests that we can bring in on that, because I think the temptation, too, will be as time goes on and as it's just natural. Time goes on, different issues come up. Um, I don't think the world is just going to kind of move on from this, and it shouldn't. But there is always that kind of temptation, right? And so this is where we got to kind of keep it in front of us and keep talking about it. And I think especially as we look at reopening as a university in the fall, how do we do that? Um, it's going to be interesting. Um, what what have you been doing or planning to do for fun? Um, okay. Well, before, because Father Tom was hinting at what I'm doing tomorrow, but before uh-huh. that, uh, I wanted to plug a show that I'm watching, and I'll let Father Tom plug his before I go into what I'm doing tomorrow. But mm-hmm. I've been watching Anne with an E. It's on Netflix. Um, me and my mom watch it every night. Um, and sometimes we say we're only going to watch one episode, and then we watch two, and then it's like 1130, and I get up at 530 to run. Um, and my mom gets up even earlier than that. So that's a mistake. Um, don't do that, but you should watch the show. It's uh, an adaption of Anne of Green Gables, which I've never read, so I can't uh, compare it to the book. Um, but it is very good and very addicting and does not glorify that time period in which it is set, which I think is really interesting um, that it wasn't all fun and games. It was actually super hard to live back then and yeah. the issues um, that uh, many different people had to deal with. So, yeah. 
What about you, Father Tom? What show did you want to plug? Uh, I I pretty much devoured uh, Space Force, also on Netflix, <laughs> with Steve Carell, John Malkovich. Brilliant. Hilarious. I I mean, I, I like to think I have a decent sense of humor. I like to watch um, humorous shows, and, and I'll get a good chuckle here and there out of certain shows. But this is the first show in a while that I watched where I was like laughing hard by myself watching this in my living room um, multiple times, uh, and probably every episode something got me good. So I don't know. They just, uh, you know, they they got it dialed into my funny bone at least, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, and I'm I, I'm guessing that there will be future seasons. I'm hoping there will be. Um, but so I've watched whatever is up there on Netflix so far. And again, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think people would would get a kick out of it. So, yeah. But what are oh, you doing tomorrow? Oh, what what am I doing tomorrow? Well, so backstory. Uh, every summer, my um, mom and um, my aunt, my two aunts, and then my grandma, and then my cousin, my sister, and I, we all try and take like a fun road trip. Um, usually, it's just like a quick road trip. Um, we don't usually stay overnight, but we go and see uh, roadside attractions, um, uh, like we've seen the world's largest gavel. That was pretty fun because I was in FFA and I did do parliamentary procedure. Um, so we had to use the gavel in that. So it was fun to see a giant gavel and then, uh, pose by it. Um, but tomorrow I am going with, uh, my crew, uh, to Casey, Illinois, which, is home to many large things, um, including the largest uh, mailbox. Mm. Um, I believe uh, there's a rocking chair, the largest rocking chair, um, the largest uh, knitting needles. Um, oh, here, I have a list. Uh, the uh, largest wind chime, rocking chair, knitting needles, crochet hook, pitchfork, golf wow. tee, Yardstick, I'm not done. Wooden token, Dutch wooden shoes, I'm really excited about that. And pencil, mailbox, and birdcage. So, it's a three hour drive, we're going to go see that. Um, I'm just thinking of my buddies who like to, you know, um, kind of rib me for my uh, diminutive size uh, that would. I mean, it's kind of an ongoing gag with us, actually. That like when when we we find like an oversized object, you know, uh, then I kind of pose with it because it makes me look even smaller. <laughs> it's like the, the stock. Remember we have a picture of you in that giant stocking, and I was like, Father Tom yes. in his normal stocking. Exactly, exactly. So that's that kind of humor, exactly. Yeah. Or you know, I'll I'll order you know at a restaurant or something when we used to do those kind of things like a normal meal like they would, and they'd be like, are you going to be able to finish that big guy? That's an awful lot, you know. Make sure you use both hands when you're picking up your drink there, okay? Oh, my God. So, yeah. So oh my they, God. Would, they, would, uh, they would really thoroughly enjoy a road trip probably to Casey, Illinois, to see all of that giant stuff, if, if not for anything else, but to continue to make fun of me. So. Yeah. And you can <laughs> actually we gotta be able to laugh at ourselves. You can actually mail letters out of the giant mailbox. Oh, I was wondering about that. Can you mail a giant letter from the giant mailbox? I don't think you can mail a giant letter. Well, if you um, paid the proper postage. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. They probably have – I'm sure the the Postal Service has restrictions on how big a 
envelope and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It'd be big. Dang. Go back to the carrier. Yeah. But anyway, that's what I'm that doing sounds, that, that sounds great. I oh, have I to say, before we go, um, we had, uh, so just this week, we were able to finally have public masses in the Diocese of Amport starting today, as a matter of fact. And we don't normally have daily Masses here at St. Ambrose, but I said, you know, this is crazy that I would continue saying Mass privately in my apartment when I could have people present. So we decided Monday through Thursday this week we'd have a Mass at noon, and so we had the first one today, and it was wonderful. It was beautiful. I mean, it was different. Obviously, we were having to be spaced. We were all wearing masks. I had to wear a mask, you know, but it it just felt so good. felt really good. So, yeah, it gives me hope. Still, still going the. It's called Heart of the Nation that we go to on YouTube, uh, online. So, but I can't wait until we can get back, um, in a church. So I I'm told jealous. the people after my introduction, I was wearing my mask, of course, and I said, "You can't see it, but I'm smiling, and I'm trying not to cry because <laughs> it's been so, so hard not to have this. So, uh, it's so beautiful to have it back. Um, but we're being cautious, and we'll see where it goes. But had to report on that. That's good that you're not alone anymore. You don't. You can have people respond. Yeah, there were about twelve I, there, and you know, they can faculty and with staff. Your back to you. How did that feel to have someone say "and with your spirit back to it you"? Was, that was great. That was <laughs> great. Bet. Speaking of which, we should probably wrap it up. So, mm-hmm. I'll let you bring us out as you usually do. Okay. I always blank when you tell me that, but I got it now. I just okay. wrote it. <laughs> May, may the faith be with you. And with your spirit, thanks for listening. Have a good week.